Hi all, uh, welcome to uh, Anime Echoes, and we'll be continuing on with Bakano Volume 8. Um, so yeah, let's just get right into it, it's the second part. Um, I probably should have um, ended the previous episode with this scene I'm just about to talk about, um, because it's just kind of like the end part of that, but I guess I kind of stopped it in a weird way. But yeah, let's just get into this scene. So after um, like Yagurama and Ronnie kind of tease Victor, Victor's car arrives and Bill's asking how that whole experience went. And it's clear that Victor is pretty shaken. In fact, his legs are kind of shaking. Bill keeps like insulting him and Victor wanted to like pull his rank and stuff and say that Bill should show some respect. But he knew that if he did that, then he would just be accepting the defeat that he just went through. So he kind of just had to eat the insults from Bill as well just as he just got completely insulted by Yagurama, Ronnie, and, you know, the rest of the Martillo family. So instead of talking back, he reveals that he was actually planning to say something else to Misa and the rest of them. Something about Isaac, and how he's deeply involved. Now, that's huge. What could Isaac, like, have done to actually get, like, deeply involved into this? Like, the way Isaac got caught was pretty suspicious, and he was very intelligent when he ensured Miria would not get caught as well. Also, Miria just disappearing was strange too. Like, what kind of ties could Isaac have? Though, it is something that Victor forgot to mention, so it would probably be less of like a bombshell. So I don't think it will be leading to some big reveal, or some major plot point. It's just some event involving Isaac. Like, I don't think this is going to be some huge mystery about his past or anything like that. Um, this might actually just be like a simple case of, you know, Isaac's involved cool. Let's just see where this goes. Okay, so now we're in the new chapter. So Fira arrives at like the island, so at Alcatraz, alongside three other people. An Asian man with tattoos, a black man who's fought a lot, and a white man who's always like muttering to himself. When he lands at the pier, he inspects like the scenery very carefully. Like he talks about like the imposing guard tower that has a sniper on it the impregnable fortress that is Alcatraz and how new it actually looks, the rocks and the hills on the side, and the blue ocean around it. So Narita goes into like a lot of detail to really bring this scene to life, and it's really important that it's done this way. Like if a scene occurs where they do break out of the fortress, knowing there is a pier and that there's a sniper is really important. It also helped immerse me into the setting. Like a specific detail I really enjoyed was how the guard tower was described as something like so small, I mean so tall, sorry, and dominating that it felt like a sniper had a clean shot on you from above at all times. Like, a truly hopeless kind of feeling, and it feels like really intimidating. That like even reaching the fortress was a lost cause. Now once Firo arrives inside, he's immediately taken away from the other men by a guard, and he meets like a special administrator named Misery. So I like this dude already, and his name I think is awesome, like Misery sounds really cool. Um, he has a connection with Victor, and he's the connection that Fira was just talking about, like the person he's supposed to meet. I like that Misery can tell some jokes, um, but Fira's sarcasm can sometimes be a lot, so he can't, like Misery can take a joke, but he can't take too many, too much of Fira's sarcasm basically. He's also like very well dressed, and he even feels like sympathy for Fira at times. I think it's nice that Fira is now contacting someone who will actually sympathize with him at least a little. While like Misery doesn't like gangsters just like um, Victor, he doesn't see them as evil or fully evil or he doesn't always express how much he doesn't like them openly like Victor does. For the most part, he treats Fira like a person and I really like that. 
because fear has kind of just been on the back foot the entire time. It's kind of nice to have someone who's, you know, talking to him like a person, you know, maybe kind of caring about what actually comes out of his mouth outside of what he actually has to offer for the mission. So it's nice to have someone like Misery, which is like really opposite to the, the name he's the name he has. Like he's not bringing misery to Firo. He's um, you know, he's kind of helping him out. I mean, I wouldn't say helping him out, but he's um, he's a pleasant kind of experience for Firo to at least have, especially with you know just walking into a prison. Like it's nice to just have a normal conversation with someone. Now, Firo tells Misery pretty early on that Huey knows that Firo has arrived and that he's immortal, so he already has all the information. Firo also asks if he's supposed to like eat Huey as the solution to the problem. Um, now the problem would be like whatever Huey's incident for New York is. They've kind of vaguely described it. Obviously no one really knows what it's going to be, but that's what they're trying to stop from happening. That being said, Misery says that Victor isn't like an ogre like that. They want to do this the right way. So there's a certain level of respect that's given towards Huey, despite not agreeing with his goals. Um, they don't want to just eat him. Like Victor doesn't want to just do that. Um, he might also feel like a connection with Huey because they rode on the same ship, right? They're both immortals, which means they were on that ship from like the 1700s. So he might actually feel like a connection with him, which means that, you know, like, even though you are like a terrorist, this, that, like, I don't want to just eat you and just solve the problem. I don't think that's actually going to work. Um, he might low-key be trying to convince Huey that what he's trying to do is just a waste of time. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see about that. We also learn that there's like many guards who are under control from the influence of Huey and that if they torture a guard, then another will just take its place, you know, like Hydra. That being said, the biggest worry isn't that. It's how Huey is managing to communicate with people on the outside and also how he's receiving information. Misery has no clue how that's happening and that is the mystery to solve. I'm pretty sure it's Lisa. She seems to be able to appear and disappear out of nowhere and talk to Huey, so most likely she is an informant or the informant. But but the twins can also communicate Huey's thoughts as well, almost like directly. So I think we already know two ways in which Huey can actually receive and communicate information. Now lastly, like Misery mentions that Fira was the only one who was supposed to arrive at Alcatraz on that day. So the other three people who were pushed in early, almost like they were, almost like it was like some sort of like onboarding system was like tampered with in order to get these people to arrive at the prison on the same day as Firo. So some shenanigans is going on, like something really strange is happening. Firo does say that the white guy who was muttering to himself was strange, but overall nothing about him like stood out. So nothing about the three people stood out as, as of now. Um... The scene ends with Fira getting checked and, you know, walking naked back to his cell where his clothes will be. So overall, I thought this scene was good. I'm, I've warmed up pretty quickly to Fira's situation and I've warmed up to Misery as well. I think that person's really cool. Um, yeah, despite his name, I think Misery actually brings a lot of positivity to Fira's situation, which is nice to see. Now, I don't think Misery is a lackey of Huey's in disguise. Um, and also, Fira already knows he's in a trap. Um... But yeah, I don't think those kind of shenanigans are going on. It's probably more to do with those inmates, I'm guessing. Um, so for now, I remain hope that Misery's intentions towards Fira are pure. And yeah, I thought that was a good scene. Okay, so we jump over to arriving at the corridor where Fira's cell is located. He's still naked and a small man with screwed up teeth taunts him as well. Um, but the guard tells him to shut up and pushes Fira into his cell. 
He gives a like a word of warning in that revenge will result in Firo ending up in solitary. So just because he's on a mission doesn't mean he's special. He has to play by the rules, all things considered. So he can't just go to that, you know, that small man that was um taunting him and just cave his head in and punch him. Um, he has to be on his best behavior. Otherwise, he will have consequences. Just because he's on this special mission, mission doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to him. Doesn't mean that he um, can break the rules or anything like that. You know, at the end of the day, he's basically, you know, in a prisoner situation. So, Firo looks around at his cell and he sees his bed. What surprised him was seeing that he had a lot of things to actually use. A bunch of socks, underwear, toothbrush, toothpaste. There's an entire list of things. As I was reading the list, I was thinking just like Firo. Like, the amount of, like, accessories these people have right now in this prison is pretty impressive, all things considered. Like, it's a prison. I thought they would have, like, really shitty things, but... Like, as in, like, they wouldn't have, like, enough of, like, the bare essentials, but it seems like they do. Now, one bad part is that the other inmates will be able to see him take a shit. Um, also, on the right side of his cell and on the left of his cell um, were the other inmates who kind of came in with him. So, he has those other inmates. So, those three inmates. I don't know. Well, I guess it would be, like, two of them on his side, right? Um, yeah, they're very much next to him. So, I'm pretty sure some interesting shenanigans is going to come out of that. Oh, uh, actually, we learned that it's the um, so the black man and the Asian man that are on the sides of um, Firo's cells. Um, the fact that the white guy isn't located near Firo most likely means that he will probably be like important to the plot in some way. Like, why would he be kind of separated? Like, they all came together and now he's in a different location. It feels kind of sus, especially with us knowing that they weren't supposed to come along on this specific day that Fira was supposed to come. He was supposed to be the only one to actually arrive on Alcatraz. But there were three other people. And now that white man is also segregated into another spot that's not near Fira. Feels kind of sus. Feels kind of sus. Feels like something's going on. Also, in like a later scene, you also see him just um like eating by himself as well. So very self-contained, kind of mysterious. Now, this could be like a misdirection from the author to make us think that he is an important character, but I think there is a good chance that this character will become like prominent. Like there's an okay amount of focus going here. Now, moving towards the dining hall is where things start to get spicy. So, Fira receives the food um, and sits down. He doesn't feel the weight of the like the weight of being in prison all that much just yet. Um, that being said, like the tales he heard from Pezzo and Randley definitely didn't make him feel good though something does distract him from his current overthinking in fact it's a very familiar face it's Isaac now we know Isaac was captured and it was recently hinted that Isaac would be involved in this plot in some way um so seeing him immediately was a treat like he gave us like the much needed explosion of personality to a prison that feels very stiff I mean all prisons are going to feel like super stiff because you know everyone's kind of like a criminal and it just Everyone's, you know, like, eyeing each other, and there's, like, gangs and this and that. Um, anyway, he says, like, Firo's name out loud, which could spell trouble for Firo. Um, if any of, like, who his goons are listening, then and they know who Firo is, um, so it's going to be like, okay, now we know where the guy that we're supposed to be looking at is located, and he's also having a connection with this other inmate. That's just more information for Huey's subordinates. Like, this could spell, like, trouble for um, Firo, if they, you know, use Isaac as um, blackmail for Firo, like they might threaten to harm him, and then Firo feels like he has to act. 
It also might be even worse if they discovered that Isaac is immortal. Like, I'm sure that Huey would be interested um, if Isaac, with Isaac being immortal. Like, he was interested with Dallas in the previous novel, so he would definitely be interested in Isaac. Like, the way it could go down that Isaac is revealed to be immortal, it could be like they beat up Isaac because they want to take him hostage to kind of lure Fira in for something. Um, but then they see, like, the blood that came out of Isaac kind of wriggle back into his body. And they're like, oh, shit, like, this guy's also an immortal as well. Um, so that could be a scene that plays out. That being said, like, Fira does act like he doesn't know Isaac when the guard asks him. So that ambiguity might really help him with keeping his relationship with Isaac as ambiguous as possible, you know, to keep them both safe. Um, it was hilarious seeing Isaac just immediately getting pulled away by the guards and hearing that it's his 10th time and that he's been in the dungeon like over and over again, clearly not learning his lesson like at all, like true to Isaac's character, all of this. Um, I did kind of feel bad for Fira, how he was like beating himself up for also not helping out Isaac in that moment. To be fair, there isn't really much else Fira can actually do in this situation, like where you're in a jail and there's immediate like dire consequences for acting out or helping a friend. Um, I liked how it was illustrated that Fira felt like shame for not acting, but then also relief that he had a friend around at the same time. Like it shows like the complicated feelings that Fira has like really well. Um, after Isaac's like grand entrance and then immediate exit, the person who's sitting next to Fira begins to speak. Now, Fira was glancing at his food and also, like, noticing how well it's made. And then the man, like, comments and says that the food they get in is actually pretty good. He was surprised himself. He further explains that the no-talking rule during eating isn't much of a rule. Like, you can still talk quietly. Like, the warden knows that if the inmates couldn't talk, they would riot. And if they ended up killing too many of the inmates, then that would be an issue for them. Like, the American public would roast them for it. It would be an ethical issue. Um, he also says that they brought him over back when the prison was first set up. That he was in like leg irons and that they spent three days and three nights on a train. And they, ne and they never let him off the train. And they put the carriages onto a ferry. So given who we find this person to be, like I feel like this story doesn't really add up. So just jumping ahead, the second I heard he had like a prosthetic arm, him being Lad Russo was like a no-brainer. I did think his um like prosthetic arm would have more functionality like he has to like move it with his other arm and it's implied that he would like bleed out bleed out if it was like removed uh, maybe I've watched too much like Full Metal Alchemist and think he can just kind of like move it and stuff like that um, anyway Lad also says that he has a goal and we know what that is it's to kill Huey now the thing that doesn't add up is that he says he was around when the prison was set up how would that be the case? Like, Lad was recently put in jail as well, and he was moved to Alcatraz. It feels like he's lying, but for, like, what purpose? Like, why would he lie? Also, does Lad know who Isaac is? I can't remember if he met Isaac back at, like, the Flying Pussyfoot, because if he knows Isaac, and if he knows Isaac knows Firo, then that could also spell trouble for Firo as well. Um, either way, I thought this was a really good scene, um, like a lot of intrigue and it feels like things will be starting to like heat up soon. We're fully like integrated into the prison scene and we're halfway through the novel so far. So there's been like a lot of setup, um, but yeah, keen to see where all of this leads. Um, it's been really good. So the next scene, we jump to Jacuzzi crying at Millionaire's Row. I honestly didn't think he would be in this novel. So this was a really pleasant surprise. He's crying over someone named Graham. 
Um, apparently, um, Jacuzzi's gang and Graham fought for a bit, but over time, he became quite an ally. Um, this sounds like a story that we'll see later. Like, he was on the run because he went after, like, a larger syndicate and then um, was returning back to Chicago. So Chicago is the hometown for Jacuzzi's gang, so they all kind of, like, reminisce about it. Um, Jacuzzi's crying because of this event with Graham and Nice and everyone else are, like, struggling to stop him from bawling his eyes out. Though something does stop him, a book, like, slams him on his head to his pleasant shock. So it was Miria. So it turns out Miria has been at Millionaire's Row ever since Isaac got taken to jail. She tells Isaac, I mean, sorry, she tells Jacuzzi not to cry, and surprisingly, Jacuzzi, like, listens to her. Though Jacuzzi mentions Isaac by accident. I like the moment where everyone gets mad at Jacuzzi silently because he mentioned the one thing that would make Miria cry as well. But Miria, the tough girl that she is, steals herself and resolves that she won't be crying anymore. That Isaac would want her to smile, and because of that, she will. After this, the gang thinks about Chane and how she was the one who actually stopped Miria from crying. So actually, Miria had cried for like three days straight when she arrived at Millionaire's Row. Um, anyway, this was a good scene because I didn't think Jacuzzi would be part of this story, actually. So seeing him was like a really good treat. Also seeing Miria in Distraught actually got me in the feels a little, especially when she silently says like, Isaac, like to herself when she's reminded of him. Um, so watching her steal herself as well was a treat as well. And it's always funny to see that the only people who can really cheer Jacuzzi up is Isaac and Miria. Like they're always the best person to make Jacuzzi kind of stop crying and stuff like that. Like, they just don't have the time for him crying, so they aren't afraid to, like, bonk him over the head with a book. Um, if they need to get the message across, or they'll just do some weird shenanigans that Jacuzzi ends up finding really funny. Um, all the talk about Graham was also interesting. It felt strange hearing about a character that should be, that should feel like a prominent character, but this was, like, the first time I was actually, like, hearing about him. Like, I guess this shows, like, the value of having, like, a non-linear story structure. There's always, like, events and, like, friendships formed in the background that we don't even see, but, like, the author wants to tell us that it's happened. Like, as far as, um, China is concerned also, um, it's mentioned that she has gone to meet back up with Felix Walken, so Claire. Um, China is, like, sitting on a bench and it has to do with, like, um, Miria, like, she's, like, reminiscing about Miria. So, in a flashback, we see her interacting with Miria. And initially, she saw Miria and Isaac as like a duo. And when Miria showed up without him, she knew that something was wrong. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Like we also, as a reader, we see Isaac and Miria very much as a duo. So like in the prologue scene where Isaac and Miria get separated, you know, that does hit close to home because they're always together and they're always bouncing off each other. So to see them separated, it's like a big deal. Anyway, so, like, eventually China goes to talk to Miria, and she's, like, writing things down so she can actually, like, converse with her. So she writes down what she wants to say, shows Miria, and then Miria kind of just kind of goes along with the conversation. Um, so China opens up to her, actually, and she talks about someone who's missing from her life as well. She talks about Huey. Now, Miria says that doesn't it make her sad? Now, this catches China off guard a bit. All this time, she had been feeling, like, anger, like, deep anger towards those that had taken Huey away from her. But then once she met Jacuzzi and the others, her anger was, like, distilled and softened a bit, and those feelings of sadness started to, like, rise. But before they could, like, fully be felt, her loneliness went away too, because she was around friends like Jacuzzi. 
she's looking at Miria and thinking that she's like super like strong, like she's very strong because she's expressing her emotions so genuinely, burying her face into a pillow and like crying so much. Like China sees that as strength. Like it's something that astonishes China and she thinks to herself that she isn't strong. Miria says that, you know, they're both waiting for them to return and China agrees and they talk throughout like the entire night. So this is like a sweet scene where they both talk about like people that have like disappeared from their lives and how much it like hurts them and stuff like that. I think it's clear that China has issues with her own emotions. She's never really allowed herself to feel the emotion of sadness when Huey was taken from her. She never really got in touch with that and she still hasn't. It's still buried in like quite deep. I think this novel or the next one or whatever may explore her getting in touch with her emotions. Um, I remember in the um, like in the third novel as well, there was like a certain hint towards um, China not really understanding her own emotions. Like Claire has a line like that. And it's also implied that Claire also slightly kind of suffers from that idea as well. Or something about like not knowing where to put his emotions towards or something like that. I can't fully remember, but I think emotions being a difficulty for China has been kind of a constant theme. Like we haven't seen China too much within these novels, but I think within the times that we have seen her, like the thing that does kind of, um, that she can't really handle or deal with is her own emotions. Like Lad can get under her skin really easy during like the um, flying pussyfoot incident when they're fighting. Um, whenever like Huey's mentioned, like she's, you know, like she's always like in distraught and stuff like that because she just hasn't like settled her emotions. Um, another thing I really liked was that like Jacuzzi, like her becoming friends with Jacuzzi and the rest of them has really kind of, you know, dampened that anger. Like I didn't like that happened to her as a result of being friends with Jacuzzi. Like she needs to get in touch with those emotions. Um, but it also makes sense because she's not feeling lonely. Like the, um, like she doesn't feel like the only person in the world. Like most likely on the, like in the beginning of the Flying Pussyfoot incident, you know, she was with Goose and the rest of them, people she didn't care about. Like she was just working together with them in order to save Huey. But now she's formed like a genuine connection. So that loneliness factor is gone. And because of that, that loneliness factor is being gone, she's developed like more of like a heartfelt connection with other people. And now that anger that was there before has kind of subsided. Um, but that sadness is still kind of buried deep within, I think. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a really, really good scene. Now in the next scene, um, we're still with China. So like Spike shows up um, in the area where China was like sitting on a bench waiting for Claire. And obviously this wasn't the person that China was expecting. I had the same thoughts as China. Like, isn't he dead? Like obviously we saw him, you know, in the prologue or the epilogue or whatever before. Um, but I also had those thoughts. Um, so like, yeah, I guess it was Spike who shot Chi. Um, when he went to assassinate Senator Barium. Um, it was nice to have that thought confirmed with this scene. Um, so Spike's talking like an asshole, as always, and he's talking about how he you know, follows someone else, and China puts together that his master is no longer Huey, so this guy's not working for Huey at all. She gets ready for the attack and then launches, but she gets hurled up in the air and then lands next to Spike. Turns out Spike isn't alone. Felix is there as well. Not the Felix Walken she's been waiting for though, so not Claire, but the former Felix, the same one we saw with Spike in the last scene. Now, they don't really want to fight Chane, they just have a pressing question. Like the same question that we're all thinking as we're reading this novel, what the hell is Huey planning for New York? 
So many of these scenes further enhance like the hype and the mystery that surrounds Huey's intentions and what he actually plans to do. Like I've been wondering like is he good or evil or you know stuff like that but that that kind of question feels like it's not even close to the point of this character. Like in true like Bakuna fashion like it's going to be the shades of grey. It's not going to be sp- simple and bit by bit like the pieces will come together. Um, it was nice seeing like, uh, like Felix also in action. And it's a good callback with um, Spike in Volume 2. I really do want to see like Claire and the former Felix meet up and converse as well. I'm hoping the next scene Claire shows up and then they have like a chat. Um, but either way, so far, it doesn't seem like um, the scene between Spike, Felix and China is finished. So there could be a good chance that Claire pops up like by the end of it. Um, that being said, Narita like deliberately made sure that the duo came like 30 minutes early to the meeting point to ensure that Claire wasn't there. So perhaps the meeting between Claire and Felix will actually not happen right now and it might happen just way later in the novel. Um, either way, I'm really keen to see like what happens next. So in the next scene, we move towards Huey. So he's in a cell and he's talking to a guard. The guard's informing him of information in regards to Firo, Isaac and Lad Russo and he mentions that nothing really happened. So we find out that this is Sham. So one of the twins that the like the selves and that the selves are being erased one after the other. That there are enemies. Um, so whoever is doing that, like erasing these selves in quotation marks, seems to understand the power of the twins. Now, just from this note, we can assume that their power is like taking over the bodies of people like temporarily. I think that's what it is. Like most likely the guard that Sham currently like occupies or possesses is just a temporary body for him. That's why the guard walks like slightly mechanical because Sham is controlling him like a robot. Um, maybe like pulling the, like the strings um, of his body or whatever. Or he's just inhabiting his body and because like he's not used to the body because it's temporary. He kind of walks kind of robotically. Um, yeah, some, something like that. And the reason why bodies are being killed or taken out is to ensure that they don't have a body that they can occupy by the end of it. So maybe they're specifically targeting Sham and, you know, who the, whoever the other twin is. I think it was Hilton. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Hilton. Um, maybe they're targeting these twins because they know that it's a way for them to get to Huey, you know, um, nullify the skills of his subordinates and then we can go to the boss kind of thing. So I guess the enemy would also know the conditions for Sham's powers, like what their specific criteria Sham, Sham has to like tick off to like take over a body. Otherwise he could just take over like plenty of bodies and confuse the enemy, especially if he could just jump around bodies just on a whim. So there's probably some sort of requirement for Sham to take over people and because of that the requirement will probably you know, illuminate to the enemy the type of people they need to kill to, like, inhibit that ability. Like, maybe it's easier for him to take over the lives of certain type of people, or maybe, you know, he has to get certain people into a certain area in order to, you know, affect, to awaken his ability, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know how it works, but I'm just speculating. Um, you know, maybe there's, like, a mark on the bodies of those who are taken over, which will give it away to the enemy. Um, either way, this is just, you know, speculation, so we'll have to see what's going on. Now next, um, Lisa is like sleeping on the bed in like Huey's cell. Huey wakes her up and asks her, asks her, sorry, oh, like what's happening? She says that, um, like, uh, that Sham's doing pretty well, but there are some like strange guys. 
I'm not sure what this means, but Lisa says that they'll be able to finish them off really fast. Now, this makes it seem like they can also have, like, copies of themselves too. Like, both Lisa and the twi- twins, sorry, act as, like, hive minds, just like, um, kind of like fuels, and they can tap into the bodies of those copies. The reason why I'm moving a tad away from the same ability as fields is because these homunculi seem to have like varying powers somewhat. Like fields can't appear from the darkness like Lisa can. So finding out what the twins and Lisa's powers are specifically will be really interesting I think and also like really key into the plans. Huey also tells Lisa to be like really careful of Victor. Um, after mentioning his name, Huey reminisces about his conversation with Victor when he got like arrested. Victor's mostly being cocky and says that, you know, they are, like, torturing, like, Huey or anything like that. There are many people, such as Nebula, who would want to, like, mess with his body and have questions, but he's not going to do that. But he's not going to let stuff slide either. Like, Victor states that Huey doesn't understand people's feelings or people's pain, but yet he's also a genius and a really skilled actor. So, left to his own devices... He's very dangerous, and before long, he has people following him, and they're wrapped up in his spider's web. If Huey was like, um, like given to like a politician or something like that, he would have them wrapped in his web so fast. Then out of nowhere, everyone would be dead, and um, like Huey, Huey would have escaped too in that situation. Now Huey says that it's in his imagination, but Victor blurts out that there's no freaking way he's ever allowing that and even presses on Huey asking if anyone can actually pick his brain. Now Huey answers like very forthcomingly um, and says, yeah, Alma and Denkara. Once again, his relationship with Alma is like endlessly, like endlessly fascinating because of how different they, like, different they are. But Denkara too, a character I know like nothing about. It's a good way to build up hype for Denkara as well, like connecting him with Huey, you know, a huge character, and also Alma, a huge character. Now, Victor also makes up some crazy reasoning about he can't, how he can't eat Huey despite him being dangerous because Huey could have like a contingency plan within his like own memories to take control of Victor. I think this part of it is paranoia from like Victor, but I think even more so, Victor doesn't want to do that to Huey. Like I think sharing time on that ship in the 1700s formed a bond between them. Like he also knows. He's not logical like Huey, so he won't play into like a game of words with him. Like he's not going to keep talking to him and just kind of fall into his pace. Instead, he tells him that he will be locked out and that once um, once they've done something to Nebula, then he can walk out. So that almost feels like Victor's kind of like looking out for Huey in some way. Like he's by putting him in a dungeon, he's almost like keeping him safe. But he's also keeping the public safe from Huey because he knows that Huey will leave, like, a wake of dead bodies if, you know, if needs be, right? For the sake of his experimentations, everyone that's considered a guinea pig is generally gonna get hurt in some way, or he's okay with them being hurt, and he, he and it's not from a place of malice, but he's just okay with, um, treating them as just subjects. Um, and that part, I think, is what Victor wants to avoid. Um, as far as, like, you know, Huey having some, like, contingency plan of, um, you know, with when Victor eats him and then that contingency plan activates. I think that, I think all of that is just Victor's imagination. Like, I think Huey's on point about that. But I think Victor is also in point about, like, the, the you know, the destruction that Huey can cause once he deems people to be part of his experiments. 
Um, and I think Victor's struggle in understanding Huey is also pretty real because he just can't get into that head of his. And yet he's also like kind of formed a connection with him on the 1700s, in the 1700s, sorry. So it's an interesting dynamic that Victor has with Huey. And I'm hoping we get more of like an exploration of it, like within this novel or in the next ones. Because um, so far, I think they have a pretty good um, dynamic going. Yeah, like you get the impression that Victor just wants Huey to like let things go and leave the nebula problem problems to like the Bureau, to leave it to Victor. You know, as of right now, like the two parties see Nebula as a threat just based on this conversation. So Huey and the Bureau too have a common enemy. Um, that makes me think that Huey's actions um, that could potentially seem nefarious, you know, like, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that it doesn't really come from a place of malice. It just stems from his dispassionate nature of seeing people as subjects within his experimentation. So at the end of this um, like this scene, he proclaims that he's not staying in Alcatraz anymore and that he wants to leave and that the previously like designated people are just like his research subjects. Now, as mentioned before, we know that Huey can be cruel to these kinds of people. Um, and anyway, um, like this is the part where we might see like Huey's personality dip to the dark side, not from a place of malice, but just from a place, a place of just being a scientist kind of thing. Um, and it's that reduction and that dispassionate nature at which he conducts himself um, after reducing people into just things, basically. Um, like, even in the novel, like, right at the end, the author notes that he says that phrase, like, a phrase, like, really far too, like, arbitrarily. Like, the things he's going to do, he's just like, yeah, whatever, like, completely detached. Anyways, I think this was a really, really great scene. And the more we get to see from Huey, the better it is. Also, like, learning all these small things about Victor is also super, super interesting. And I'm really keen to see where this goes. Um, you can also, like, just, you know, just going very general now, like, the uncertainty that Fira feels, the introduction of Lad into the scenes, which makes things more tense, because Lad is, like, kind of like a loose cannon, so you don't really know what to expect from him. All these things about, like, the twins and their powers, you know, what's going on there. Like, there's so many different directions that this story can go. And yet we're also, like, very focused on, like, the prison element of this story. So, um, it I do like that there is, like, a lot of focus as well. Like, every scene, like, every scene feels like it's um just kind of like its own own world that you're kind of getting into and then you kind of pop out of that world and then you jump into another one um but it doesn't feel you know full bloated or like too chaotic like I think it is really important that we do have like this prison storyline as like the main storyline and then there are stuff kind of like going around in the background and all this mysterious stuff happening um with all these different parties um you know like learning about Graham like that feels like a massive like wrench in the works kind of thing like who is this guy you know why should I care What's going on with Graham? Um, barely know him. Has ties to Jacuzzi, but that's about it. You know, like, there's all these different things kind of being released and for us to kind of let let seep into our brains. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, but I do, like, I guess the main thing I just want to highlight is that having the focus being on the prison itself helps us, I guess, be even more interested about all these other random things that are going on because what it does is it, like, by having, like, a main focus for the, you know, for this novel or for this arc or whatever, um, it just makes it more cohesive, you know? We have something to, like, really kind of look forward to on, like, a on a plot level that's kind of easy to follow, and then we can have, like, the more overarching plot threads, which are kind of harder to follow, and just have them kind of dangling. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good choice by the author. 
And just personally, um, I've actually been really enjoying this novel so far. Um, I really do like kind of prison stories. They're always super exciting. Um, I'm always like, uh, you know, I'm always kind of scared for the characters within the prisons because I know some bad shit is going to happen to them. And, you know, like the, the prison etiquette, always learning about prison etiquette is always interesting because it feels like its own culture, its own vibe. Um, and then like the guards are also like part of the culture as well. Um, and I think that's like kind of like a callback to, you know, the guard who had that interaction with Vlad in um, kind of like in the prologue section where we get that reintroduction of Vlad and he like shit, scares the shit out of a guard and they're like fearing for their lives. Um, you know, we get to kind of see, you know, like the um, just how um, like how in control the guards think they are. But then at the same time with this like Alcatraz prison, um, you don't really get that kind of... Um, that feeling because I think maybe because the inmates are so crazy and like they said before like if you don't give them a little bit about what they want they will actually riot so I think the guards actually know that there's a way that they can actually be on the back foot um yeah like the warden knows that if they kill too many of the inmates they have like an issue on their hand so just learning like little tidbits like that it just makes it a lot more interesting it makes the setting a lot more fun to actually be in um and I also think that Firo is like such a good um, kind of character to kind of go through the prison scene with um, because he's just never been there. He's kind of scared. He doesn't really know what to do, but he's also immortal. So we know that if anything horrible is going to happen, he's going to end up okay. Though that being said, Dallas was also immortal and we know horrible things happen to him. He was like under the ocean, just drowning for ages. Um, but I didn't think um, the author would do something like that to Firo because he seems to like him quite a bit. Um, so I don't think he'll put him in a situation like that. Um, but Fira is like a pretty good character to just kind of like travel through this prison scene with. Um, and yeah, just Huey is just endlessly fascinating, endlessly interesting. Um, and yeah, I just really like that connection between him and Alma. Now we have this connection between him and Denkro as well. So he's going to be like that new character that I really want to meet. Um, yeah, like I really want to meet Denkro now because like, could these three characters like Huey, Alma and Denkro, could they be like this trio of like just really interesting characters who have this philosophical view on how you know life should be and their goals and this and that and what they're testing um yeah I'm really keen to see Denkara as well just by virtue of having that connection between Huey and Denkara um so yeah I thought that was really good as well and yeah like seeing Spike again was kind of funny really thought he was dead um turns out he's not not like I'm invested in Spike but like I really just thought he like died um just out of the story you know like um volume two feels like the volume where characters actually you know like passed away like um like goose died spike died um i'm pretty sure goose is dead um but spike's back so that's pretty interesting either way um i'm just really enjoying this novel and i can't wait to get into like the next part so yeah thank you everyone for watching and um yeah i'll see you guys in the next episode